Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free whilst lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another update. Uh, I recently, I think last month, we did kind of a general market update talking about some opportunities. And now I am doing a, a market update here on three investment strategies for inflation in 2022. And this is going to be a video on the website. Some of you might be listening to this on the podcast, which there's going to be a lot of numbers and a lot of data. So feel free to pop on over to the website later to look at the, uh, the information. Or if you want a copy of the slides, definitely hit us up for that too. Now, I must tell you, everybody, I have had a few people not a ton, but a few people express concern about inflation and asking me, what the heck can we do about all this inflation stuff? And what are some ways maybe I could change my portfolio in order to better handle inflation and what happens there? So we will talk about that. We will get into that. But uh, first, I have a question for you. What country had the highest inflation in 2021 and what percentage was it? Hint, it's not in Europe. Anybody? This isn't a live presentation. I'm recording. I'll just tell you. The answer is Venezuela had a whopping 1,198% inflation in one year last year. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine that? That's like the cost of eggs going from like $1 to $1,198 in a year. So um, poor Venezuelan people, it's horrible. Um, second place was Sudan with 340%. So Venezuela, Definitely, definitely had the lead. Well, as, as y'all may know, always have to give these disclosures. I offer advisory services through my totally independent RIA Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, located here in Bloomington. Of course, if you have any questions, you can give us a call, 612-284-2409. And of course, what I'm talking about today, this material discussed is meant to provide general information. This is not meant to be construed as specific investment advice, tax advice, legal advice. Your situation, your individual needs may vary and require consideration of your unique objectives, your unique situations. I may list a few third-party firms or individuals that aren't affiliated with me. So full disclosures, right? Got to do it. If you want a copy of the slides, you want to take a look at the presentation. It would be my honor to send it to you. Feel free to send me an email, dave at daviddeniston.com. I'll hit you up with that. Well, getting that out of the way, let's talk about inflation. Great quote here from Herbert Hoover. He said, there's only three ways to meet the unpaid bills of a nation. The first is taxation. The second is repudiation. The third is inflation. 
I find this to be so incredibly true. <laughs> uh, a nation, when they don't have money, they can tax their citizens, right? You know, there's been a lot of talk around increasing taxes for rich people. Certainly repudiation uh, of not paying your bills and defaulting on them is a way to go. Uh, but the, the favored tool of many people is inflation because you can essentially make your bills smaller than they were before. What do I mean by that? Well, if you, let's say, owed someone $1,000, uh, let's, let's take out your house, right? Your house, um, maybe you have a mortgage on it of 100000 and your house is worth 150000 Well, if inflation happens and the value of your house goes up, well, your 100000 mortgage doesn't look so bad when your house is worth 300000 now, right? You have that much more equity into it. Your debt appears that much smaller. This is true with government as well, too. Their debts can appear to be that much more smaller when you have inflation, assuming that they aren't running crazy, insane deficits. Big giveaway there, right? So let's talk about the markets here real quick. Um, I updated a bunch of uh, data here a couple of weeks ago as I was putting up this presentation. I felt a little lazy and didn't update it to today. I'm recording this presentation on April 25th. This data I have here is through two weeks ago of April 12th. It's not too different. The, uh, the, the Dow's down a little bit more, S&P's down a little bit more. Um, but what I thought I would point out for this year, it's been a crappy year as of the, the end of April. The S&P was down about 7% through the middle of April. The Dow down about five and a half. The Russell 2000 down about 11. The FTSE Global Old Cap Index, which is like a worldwide index, down about 8% through the middle of April. The Barclays Aggregate Bond Index usually an incredibly safe place to go was negative 8%, which is worse than the Dow, worse than the S&P, and, and uh, just about as bad as the FTSE. And then a shorter term bond index, the Blue, Blueberg, Bloomberg Barclays one to five year corporates is down 4%, which is a shorter duration, shorter maturity index, down four which is not, again, that much different than the Dow. So what sucks about this year is there has been practically in the major asset classes of large caps, small caps, global uh, aggregate bonds, short-term bonds, there's nowhere to hide in this stuff, you know, negative four to negative 11%. And it's gotten a little bit worse even in the last two weeks. Hopefully it'll be a little bit better between now and when uh, when this is available. But yeah, bad year, not a good year. Now there are some commonly mentioned inflation plays that um, some folks may draw you towards. And so I wanna pick through some of these and then show you in my opinion that for a potential portfolio that you might wanna think about, Again, you have to weigh your, your particular situation here uh, in terms of whether it may be right for you if you are concerned with inflation. There are some common things that people think about. Materials or materials stocks, inflation-protected bonds, real estate, 
banking and financial stocks, managed futures. So we're going to talk about all this stuff. Now, as we look at stocks and we look at inflation investment opportunities in major sectors, let's, uh, let's do a little bit of comparison. And this data, again, I, I prepared this, started preparing this a while ago. This data is through April 5th. And so it's a little outdated now, a few weeks later, but the general trends are very much still in place. So if we look at the S&P, you know, it did amazing in 2020 and 2021, up 18, up 29, year to date as of the very beginning of April was negative three. A couple of weeks later was down even more, was down to negative seven. Um, financial stocks, meanwhile, had a crappy 2020, was negative one, had a great year in 2021, up 31%, which was better than the S&P. And then year to date, about the same, you know, it was negative 2.7%, about the same as the S&P. So, why financial stocks in an inflationary environment? The number one thing being in inflationary environments, usually interest rates rise. If interest rates rise, that means banks are getting more interest. They are paying out a little bit higher interest on their deposits, which is an, a liability for a bank, but they're making a higher spread on the loans that they are giving out. Now they're not having to loan money out at 3% on a mortgage. Now they can loan it out at 5% on a mortgage. Now in a car loan, before they might be having it at a 6% interest rate. Now they can loan it out at like a 9% interest rate. So they're making that much more money. That's the basic idea of why financials might be an investment opportunity relative to the S&P 500. Material stocks. Material stocks had a, had a pretty similar year to the S&P in 2020. They were up 18%, 2021 up 25%, which was about the same as the S&P, a little bit worse. And then year to date, again, through the beginning of April, they were up about 8% in 2022 which is a significant difference over the S&P. Now, what are material stocks? These are companies that um, produce big machines around agriculture. For example, uh, think of the, the, the tractors and catap you know, the, the big, big fat machines you see out there, which is needed um, in order to get materials out of the ground. You might think of fertilizer companies or aluminum companies or iron companies. Once again, um, the profit margins get fatter in an inflationary environment. So uh, just like with banks, you know, they get to make more money when inflation goes up. And conversely, you know, it can be the same. Um, energy had a horrible 2020, negative 33%. And really, if you looked at the last decade, energy has been atrocious energy companies being oil producers. Uh, but in 2021, a huge comeback, positive 53. 2022, a positive 39%. So energy has like had a not so crazy, amazing run last year and this year. You've probably heard about oil companies having rocker, record profits and margins. Perhaps this could continue 
in an inflationary environment. If the price of oil goes from $100 a barrel to $150 a barrel, projects that didn't make sense at $100 a barrel, like deep ocean drilling, might all of a sudden make a lot of sense at $150 a barrel. So not only does their stuff that only costs them $30 or $40 a barrel, it gets a higher margin. Now they can add on supply in order to um, um, make even more money for energy companies. So we'll see where that goes. You know, we've seen oil being at 90 to $120 a barrel recently, which was a huge change from $30 a barrel a couple of years ago. So those are um, what I would call major sectors. So again, that's financials, materials, energy relative to the S&P. Other ones that as you read articles out there, there are what I would call subsectors meaning that they're not a major part of the S&P. And they might even be subsectors of subsectors, so getting to some very niche things. One of the articles I read that talked about some inflation ideas was the Home Construction Index, so the Dow Jones Home Construction Index. Well, that has had a really bad year-to-date of, of uh, 2022 and a really bad one-year track record. So uh, that particular index down 27% year to date, one year down 12, which is, is uh, atrocious compared to the S&P 500, like a 20 plus percent spread from what the S&P has been doing. And uh, the reason why I think this idea is, is an interesting one, but um, not for the reasons of, of inflation is because when it comes to homes and building homes, uh, it is highly tied, at least in my opinion, to interest rates. As these interest rates have gotten higher, it's hurting new homes because now home buyers can't afford as much, which hurts the home builders, right? They can't sell stuff for as much. So um, plus their material costs are going up at the same time too. Like it's a really bad storm for them. I think um, this is an interesting play that if interest rates get high enough, maybe it ends up going down 40 or 50%. Minus 27 looks pretty interesting, but that's not a minus 40 or minus 50. So a subsector like this, I think, could be fascinating um, if things get low enough, but probably not interestingly enough today. Another one people mention a lot is real estate. So there's an index, the MSCI investable market real estate. Um, one year done better than the S&P, about 21% compared to 15. The uh, year to date, a little bit worse than the S&P. And uh, while it's not the same as home construction, you can see it's not energy, it's not materials in terms of how it's performed. And a lot of the reason for this, again, is tied to interest rates. You know, interest rates are going up. It softens up the real estate sector. Maybe we don't see it immediately, but you start having less buyers. As you have a smaller and smaller pool of buyers, well, that means supply is going to increase, which then in turn leads to lower prices. So um, while perhaps my example I gave earlier of a house going up in value may happen, um, there are other forces as interest rates are rising in the short term that make this a, a harder index to have. I like the real estate index as a better idea in inflationary environment than home construction, but I'm not convinced it's better than the major sectors that we looked at earlier. 
And now for a commercial break. Well, my friends, you may have heard me talking about all kinds of interesting investments the last few years. And now we've been talking stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and all kinds of traditional investments. But maybe, just maybe, you are curious in learning more about investing in land and what it is like to run a land business. Well, it would be my honor and pleasure to speak with you, guide you, direct you, and coach you through how I do the land business step-by-step, piece-by-piece to create maybe uh, something like what I've been able to do. If you have any questions, feel free to schedule a time with me, 30 minutes totally free with a strategy session. Call Robbie at 612-284-2409. Again, call us directly, 612-284-2409. We look forward to talking to you soon. And now, back to the show. Now we get to some some interesting ones, some precious metals, gold and silver. Gold has done a little bit worse than the S&P over the last year, 11% to 15. Silver horribly relative to the S&P, minus two, compared to the S&P being up 15% in one year. Not year to date, but one year. And this is data through the beginning of April again. Didn't take the time to update it, but I figured it'd give us good talking points. But year to date. Gold up 5% compared to the S&P down three. Silver up five compared to the S&P being minus three. And certainly I think the, the Russian situation has had something to do with precious metals doing well. Generally gold is known to follow inflation. So I like these plays. I think they are interesting. They are risky. I would put them as a category similar to stocks. But obviously, you can see with silver, it ain't the same. You know, it, it does not react the same as the stock market does. So it might do better. It might do worse. If perhaps this Russian situation, we can all pray that uh, they move out of Ukraine and, and uh, be done, you know, um, very well that these could go down because now there's not as much geopolitical concern. So there's definitely... Um, some concern there of potential going down. On the other hand, if this this uh, situation goes longer, there's more fear, inflation continues to pick up at a higher price, I think you could very much make a case for gold and silver doing well. Now, on the other hand, you want to look at gold or silver uh, on steroids. You got the MSCI, ACWI select metals and mining producers. One year up 31%, double the S&P. 22 year to date up 24%. Now I will tell you some of those same metal and mining producers are in the materials sector we were talking about earlier. So the miners are a subsector of that major sector. So if you wanted to take more risk, if you believe inflation is going to get worse before it gets better, you could buy the miners. But you can tell just how hyped up it is in returns relative to gold and silver. You know, you could be in for a wild ride up and down. 
Now let's talk about bonds, right? You know, bonds are a traditional part of asset allocation. Most asset allocators will tell you, you should have some bonds. Well, if we don't like the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, which as of the beginning of April was negative 7% year to date, we talked about short-term bonds being down negative three. There's a few other things you could think of. Um, I would point out floating rate. So the Bloomberg floating rate less than five years index are like ultra short-term bonds. The advantage there being you don't get hit with the price fluctuations that you do with longer term maturity bonds. We call that term duration. The art aggregate bond index is a higher duration, significantly higher duration than the floating rate index. A 20 year treasury bond has an even higher duration than the aggregate bond index, which might be around six or seven. So year to date, the floating rate index is down, but it's only down 0.26%, again, as of the beginning of April, compared to the negative seven for the ag, which is like the, uh, the S&P 500 or the Dow of bonds. Another person might point out that there are things that are treasury inflation protected bonds. So the Bloomberg Treasury Inflation Protected Bonds Index. Um, that is doing better than the aggregate bond index down negative five versus seven. In the last couple of years, uh, 2021, it did a positive five versus the ag being down two. So it is outperforming um, the ag the last couple of years. Could continue but you're still down negative five in a bond. Uh, reason being that inflation protected bonds really are, are composed of two things. One being a fixed rate and the other being linked to inflation. And so those two components um, are part of it. So essentially it has part of the ag in it with a fixed rate. It's not like the floating rates index, which has ultra short duration, which is the reason why it's doing so much better. However, you could consider a shorter term, the Bloomberg zero to five year treasury inflation protected bonds index as another kind of index that is shorter term in nature and is doing better year to date. So year to date, that's down negative one, which is significantly better than the negative seven from the ag, significantly better than the negative five from tips, performed similarly in 2021 being up five, um, performed worse in 2020 than the ag and the longer term index. And what you'll see is when interest rates go down, which maybe they could, right? I mean, we have to acknowledge maybe interest rates got too hot too quickly. Uh, you should expect that the ag will probably do better, that the treasury inflation protected bonds index will do better than the floating rate bond and the zero to five year. Um, but I want you to have these tools in your tool belt as something to consider. I would also point out, hey, if interest rates get high enough, like right now, 10-year treasuries are around like 2.8, 2.9. If you get 10-year treasuries around four, now you're at the historical average. Having the ag may not be such a bad idea. But in the meantime, um, maybe you might want to consider some of these other bond positions outside of the ag. Now, some folks um, point out something called managed futures. 
what are managed futures? First of all, you may have no idea what the heck I'm talking about. If you have heard of the term derivatives or futures or forwards, um, those can all fall under the category of derivatives. When I talk about futures, these are contracts that um, someone is buying on an exchange like the Chicago Board uh, Mercantile Exchange. That is a place where people could buy futures on pork bellies or futures on oils or future on wheat or futures on, on uh, interest rates or most anything that you could think about. And there are exchange-traded products out there, ETFs, ETNs, that specialize in managed futures. And you'll see some of them being around commodities and interest rates. And if you look at it, like one on natural gas, you might think, oh, this one on natural gas owns the underlying asset. It should trade similarly to the, uh, the price of natural gas. But in fact, because you are buying contracts, you are buying the right to a, a, a good at a future price. So I'm just going to make something up. Let's say it was natural gas. Let's say the price of natural gas is three bucks and you're going to pay 25 cents a contract in order to be able to um, sell that by a determined date in the future. You might've heard of options before. Options are, are a kind of futures contract like calls and puts and stuff like that. And so you could bet against them, you can bet for them, but you notice in that example I gave, there's a cost to buying that contract, a few cents. And so you get into times where the commodity is going up and the cost to buy that contract goes up with it. Sometimes it goes down. And those two terms are contango and backwardation. But in all cases, you have to pay to have those contracts. And that decreases from the tracking of that particular underlying asset. So you buy a ETF that tracks natural gas or oil or a basket of commodities. It can drastically be different than that underlying thing. And so I hate managed futures. On top of that, the, um, uh, the cost of it, a lot of them are incredibly tax inefficient. You'll get a K-1 from them uh, if they are an ETF as opposed to an ETN. And so I hate these things. Be very wary of managed futures. Yes, they can make money. Yes, they can do well for you. But in the long term, the cost of those contracts eats it up. And um, if you're doing it for the short term anyhow, and you do make a gain on it, well, now you got to pay a short term capital gains tax. So don't do them. I think they suck. I'm not a fan. Um, maybe they'll be changed somehow in the future. But you don't own, remember, you don't own the underlying asset. You don't own natural gas. You don't own stuff like that. So what I wanted to suggest was a kind of portfolio that given everything we're talking about here so far that maybe you could consider um, to protect your portfolio against inflation if that is something that you are concerned with. So what I made it look like in total, uh, if you are listening to this on the podcast, 
I created a pie chart, which has blue, yellow, and green. Blue being stock type investments, yellow being precious metal type investments, and green being um, bond investments. So it's what I would call a 60-40 mix of riskier assets to less risky assets, at least traditionally. Doesn't guarantee you that these will do well, of course, but I just want to give you an idea of kind of what, what I was thinking about, about what may work. Now, if, if we look at some of our earlier examples, right? I talked about the major sectors. I talked about the subsectors. I talked about bond opportunities. And what I feel if we are concerned about inflation is stick to the major sectors because this way you are grabbing parts of the S&P. We saw how financials and materials stuck closer to the S&P 500. Um, energy acted totally differently. Between the three, you know, you have a chunk of S&P 500 companies. So while you're not going to perform the same as the S&P, you might do significantly better. You might do significantly worse. You might do a little bit better. You might do a little bit worse. You might do the same as the S&P. But this gives you the chance to outperform it with things that lately and traditionally have done well in inflationary environments. And that's about 40% of the portfolio. So I was suggesting 15% financials, 15% materials, 10% energy. The next chunk of the pie being the rest of our 60%, so 40% in more traditional stocks, 20% in precious metals being gold and silver. Now you could buy gold bars, you could buy ETFs that invest in silver or gold. You know, there's lots of different ways to go about this. I go back to what I was just saying about managed futures. Do not buy managed futures. You can buy investments that own the underlying thing, whether it's the energy or the materials or, or the precious metals we're talking about here. You know, stick to something that's not managed futures, in my opinion, you know, I think would be good to do. And I put 10% in gold, 10% in silver. The, the reason why, you know, gold traditionally is more steady, um, silver more volatile. So you have more potential upside with silver, but gold, you know, is kind of more steadier. Between the two, hopefully you get some upside. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. You know, if we don't have an inflationary environment, as I mentioned, um, these could go down. They are up lately, doing better than stocks. And then finally, on the bond side, I said, forget the ag, the aggregate bond index, forget uh, tips, because that performed very similarly to ag. Let's stay short-term in nature to avoid this yield curve that seems to be hitting longer duration things pretty high, leading to pretty crappy returns for bonds for this year and perhaps for the next few years. So I said, let's get floating rate. Let's get some short-term inflation protected. So 20% in each, and that's how we're getting our bonds. Certainly you could add in the ag into here. You could add in tips. You could um, have money market perhaps instead. Uh, I think you have the possibility at least of getting decent yield with these as interest rates rise. Floating rate being short-term rates is going to be more tied to the Fed. So the higher that the Fed raises the Federal Reserve's rate, the higher the yield the floating rate will be, which they've just started that process. So 
Um, I like that. I think, I think they're both great plays, wonderful part of a portfolio here that gets you diversified among a bunch of different things. Certainly if your risk tolerance is higher, you could take money away from the bonds and add it to some of our, our other categories. You know, maybe you want to have 80, 20 riskier assets to last risky assets. If you're more conservative, make it 50, 50, um, Keep in mind that that bonds aren't doing well, whereas some of these other things are doing okay, if not great for the year. So that, that's kind of my idea of what I think an inflation-protected portfolio possible asset allocation could look like. And um, I think the, the uh, major pros here of adding in, and certainly if inflation continues, you are more likely to do better than a traditional 60-40 S&P 500 aggregate bond kind of, of index. The con being, what if inflation doesn't continue to materialize and we're at peak inflation right now? So there's definitely some things to think about here. Um, I think it would be wise, given how hot inflation has been, how messed up supply chain still is, how messed up Russia is for continuing to invade Ukraine. Some of these inflation things might be here for a few years. What I think you shouldn't do is change your whole entire portfolio around this concept, you know, make everything an inflation hedge. Because what if you're wrong? What if this is peak and things just get better from here? I think it would be wise maybe to change a portion of your portfolio towards an inflation hedge. And when I say that, you know, many people I deal with, many clients I have, they have an IRA, they have another IRA, they have a Roth, they have a non-qualified account, they have a 401k. Um, in a 401k, you can't do some of this stuff. So you can stick to that standard 60-40 allocation or 70-30 or 80-20 or whatever's in line with your risk tolerance. Perhaps, you know, in an IRA account might be a good place for this because if you sell some things, you don't realize any tax consequences today of, of uh, doing so. Or a Roth could be a good place to consider this. So um, definitely it's not all rainbows and sunshine. There's pros, there's cons with this stuff. Definitely a lot of things to consider. Um, but I, I want to leave you uh, with this thought from, from our good friend, Warren Buffett. Uh, he said, if you're the best teacher, if you're the best surgeon, if you're the best lawyer, you will get your share of the national economic pie, regardless of what Ever the value of the currency may be. So regardless of inflation, let's be the best we can be. And more than likely, we will capture our share of the national economic pie, no matter what inflation does. So I, I hope this has uh, been a good presentation for you, gave you some things to think about. If you have any questions, you want to talk about how these kind of plays can fit into your portfolio, please uh, give a call here to our office or email me. Call, um, and you can arrange with Robbie a time to schedule with me. That's 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. Or reach out to me, Dave, at daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much. Looking forward to hearing from you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. 
Thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant and you're looking for a second opinion, I'm making myself available for 30-minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.daviddeniston.com. Thank you so much, and have a good one. Bye-bye.